Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 332. Today we have an interview with our friend Maine Miller. He's from the Grappling Rewind podcast. He's going to kind of recap a lot of stuff that happened in 2019 as far as the competitive scene. And uh, and then we'll take a peek forward what's happening in the future as well. So it's really good to have Maine here, uh, somebody who has his finger on the pulse of the competitive scene so well. And, and he's going to bring a, uh, to us all this insight that we... Largely, this podcast don't really cover we we don't really cover current events or or uh, competitions that are right around the corner or that just happened. So really cool to have Maiden in here to kind of recap the whole year for us. My name is Byron Jabbar. I'm here with my good buddies Joe Thomas and Gary Hall. Guys, I've got a quote I want to bring in here right away. And uh, Gary, I was thinking of you on this one, man, because I know you're oh, a very sweet. talented. And I'm uh, glad artist. you uh, think about me. Not so much a talented martial artist, but a talented artist. <laughs> uh, this is a quote from our, uh, I don't know, I say our friend. I call everybody a friend. But a quote from Bob Ross. And uh, if you don't know who Bob violent Ross Bob is. Violent Bob Ross? What was that? Is that violent Bob Ross? No, the just UFC regular, <laughs> happy, super nice guy. I think he might have passed away a little while ago. Bob Ross. And he and he had that the, a, a painting show on public television, and he was just always soothing and relaxing. And Bob Ross said, Talent is a pursued interest. Anything that you're willing to practice, you can do. And I think he was addressing the the people who watch him paint and really enjoy his his paintings and, and what he's creating, but just put that on the shelf as, I can't do that. I, I don't. I, I'm not naturally an artist. I'm not a painter. And he was trying to encourage people to pick up that paintbrush, and if it's something that's interesting to you, you can pursue it, and 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 that will help you get through the stages of practice that may be uh, less enjoyable or uh, not get you the results you want, and, and you'll develop those skills. And so the interest is is very important. And if you're interested in something. Go ahead and start to pursue that, whether it's painting or jujitsu or whatever, and and get through the the times at the beginning where your paintings don't really look like anything, right, Gary? Right. <laughs> Joe is more of an yeah. of an artist. He's a, he's a, sometimes sometimes your jujitsu doesn't really look like anything either, right, Gary? No, right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm stunned that Bob Ross has passed. Uh, I'm more stunned to find out that he passed in 1995. I actually, I thought he was still alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, Joe, sorry for for your this loss here. You're just now taking on the air, and uh, and I got to keep up a little bit more. I think keep up and, and, and keep your head up, Joe. I mean, he he did uh, he did some great stuff for this, and and don't let this get you down today, buddy. Well, what, one thing I like about it is the quote says, uh, uh, anything you're willing to practice, you can do. 
It doesn't necessarily say you'll get really good at it, or you'll be the best, <laughs> at the, or you'll be the best in the room, or world champion, or something. And I always like to remind myself that uh, the jujitsu journey is very individual. And um, yeah, if you if you're interested and you're willing to to practice, you can do it. But some people are just uh, some people ain't going to be world champions. But you can but don't sure let enjoy that stop it. You, but yeah, but don't let that stop you from pursuing it. Yeah, you know, uh, don't let you stop you from pursuing it. I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Bob Ross actually lost a finger uh, when he was younger. So, I mean, easily he could have thought, hey, I can't be a painter like he is. But uh, he, he did it. He didn't let, uh, you know, a loss of a finger pursue him from being a painter. I mean, the dude, uh, dude's talented. Dude uh, has drive. Are you you're serious? I just googling. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, you guys didn't know that about him, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff people didn't really know about him that, you know, he. I mean, besides losing a finger and then becoming a painter, you know, he actually tried it and worked it. But, you know, the crazy thing was, you know, he never took any money from PBS. You know, he didn't take a dime. Never once got paid. By they, ne- they never PBS. caught him once. Yeah, no, I mean, he really never did. Uh, never did get paid by him and. You know those paintings when he was younger he used to sell his paintings but as he got older he donated those those paintings to help TV TV stations raise money you know so you know that was pretty impressive and but uh you know another thing people don't realize about him especially with his hair um but you know he he was a 20 year master sergeant in the air force um you know a career uh, military man Man, I might be trying to find more Bob Ross quotes later because I got you all motivated, Gary. Gary, you know the history of this uh, of this guy Bob Ross, and and I'm I'm just impressed you're just pulling this all out of out of thin air here. Yeah, yeah Bob the, Ross. The internet makes you look pretty good, there, Gary. Why do you guys say I got this from the internet? <laughs> Why do you not think I know about Bob Ross? Well, if okay, which hand did he lose his finger on? It was his other hand, not his painting <laughs> exactly. hand. Exactly. <laughs> What? I don't go up and hang out with him. I don't know him as a person. Well, that would be tough now, Gary. That's well, a little insensitive. I bet you Joe guys just never found out about this. That. Yeah. Well, Joe. Yeah, Joe thought he was alive still. I bet you uh, had. I bet you had no clue he lost a finger when you used to watch him paint. And I guarantee you, when you watch Bob Ross, you know reruns now, you're going to look at his finger, look at his hand, see what finger, what hand is missing. Well, I don't think I'm going to be looking at his hands, but his his, uh, his afro his, his afro will make a little more sense. You know, he always did say one of the things he always was quoted is uh, he didn't like his haircut. Nah, yeah. I mean, but you can find that you know on the website uh, realclear.com. Twenty three happy little Bob Ross facts that most most viewers never knew. He didn't like his haircut, huh? No, yep. We'll put a link to that. I thought in the he had a great notes. haircut. Yeah. If you if you uh, don't know what Gary looks like, he looks a lot like Bob Ross. Without but, the hair. <laughs> well, Bob Ross was helping people get uh, to that canvas. You know, pick up that paintbrush and mix some colors together and start putting them on that canvas there. And uh, and we're willing to do the same for you. Get on that mat, throw that gi on, and uh, we have an audiobook called "Your First Year of BJJ." And whether you are thinking about you know training jiu-jitsu or you've started and uh, and you're getting through that first year right now, 
um, the the book might be able to help you out quite a bit. It's eleven ninety nine. It's basically like a podcast. It's it's me walking you through what to expect from finding the right gym to you know what to expect your first month. Uh, techniques you want to work on in your first year and, and getting jiu-jitsu to fit into your off-the-mat life, uh, all the way up to if you want to do a tournament and what to expect on that. Um, the money goes and helps support the show. Look for it in the BJJ Brick shop. And uh, it's basically like a like a podcast. It's about two and a half hours long. And I want to help you uh, you know, find that paintbrush of jiu-jitsu. I guess there's a paintbrush technique. <laughs> and it's a fairly beginner technique. Uh, fairly simple anyway. And uh, and start making those happy little arm bars and happy little guillotines. Does that make any sense, you guys? I guess if you don't make Bob, no Bob Ross, he, he used to paint like happy little trees and uh, you know a happy he, little stream. You know, he actually painted trees in ninety-one percent of his paintings, give or take. Yeah. Nope, ninety-one percent. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. I think I think Gary's about to write an article about Bob Ross and jujitsu. I don't think he could pull that off. I don't think Gary could. could. I bet there's less than a ninety-one percent chance that's going to get rid of. <laughs> you guys are just mad because I know more about Bob Ross than you guys do. I'm impressed me, that you Gary. could you could, you could yeah, read off of a me. website while doing a podcast. Why do you guys think it's me? a website? Because I gave the listeners a website, you know, that's in case true. they want to learn more about Bob Ross. That for all I know, you secretly run that website and you're funneling traffic to that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, good, well played, Gary. The number one link is the BJJ Break Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, hey guys, I got a. Kind of a silly off the mat lesson here. Uh, my my wife and I go occasionally to a restaurant called uh, Jason's Deli. It's here in Wichita, and it's it's no big deal. It's a salad bar, and it, you know get, get kind of all you can eat salad. And then it also has a soft serve ice cream machine, and it's nothing that ain't ice cream. It's yeah, it's nothing amazing. It's it's pretty. Uh, it's it's very average if you could become very average at anything. So the thing that I do at this thing is we like to sit near the ice cream machine and watch people make cones. <laughs> it is hilarious. Uh, people, some people make very small cones. Some, you know, uh, try to try to go a little bigger. But it's just funny to watch people oftentimes do something that they're terrible at. We we had <laughs> my my favorite one is we this this older guy and I say that no offense guys I mean this guy was probably <laughs> over eighty five uh, no he he comes up he gets a cone he fills it with ice cream and he stands at the machine and devours it and then he gets another one and then he goes and sits down and I and I almost guarantee you that his wife limits his diet because he probably has. A medical condition. <laughs> he shouldn't even have one. Yeah. And he, he sneaks an entire cone up at the machine while she's sitting down eating her salad. I like that. Kind of funny. Uh, okay, the whole thing. I'll bet the second. I'll bet the second one was smaller too. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so my deal at this is, I like to kind of be. Uh, I call it Henri. Uh, my wife has other ways to describe it, but I like to be kind of silly in public and, and make a fool out of myself sometimes. 
And sometimes it happens naturally, but sometimes I can just do it on purpose and I just enjoy um, being kind of an idiot. So I will go up to this machine and I will make the cone as large as possible. And there's a couple of different techniques to do this, but basically I could I can make an ice cream cone as as long as as until it hits the bottom. At the bottom of the ice cream machine, it has like a little uh, grate where if you drip some ice cream, it lands on that. I can make it that large to where it's it's like eight or nine inches tall. It's pretty ridiculous. Really? Yeah. Eight, eight or nine inches tall, it's that large? The, <laughs> the, 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 the key is to also make it thicker. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, like... Like people just what like kind of podcast we run it. <laughs> no you got to kind of mash it in there, and it makes a better platform. And, mash and one it time, in there. one time, I I make this cone, and it's it's ridiculous. And uh, and I and I'm coming back to the to the chair, and and somebody looks at me, and, and like it was surprised, like this person I don't know, and and then I go, I did it, guys, <laughs> and I said it loud enough to where. A lot of the people around us look at me, and I'm holding this ginormous, ridiculous cone, and people started clapping. <laughs> awesome. And I, and I, and I wanted to give like a little impromptu speech, but it didn't, it didn't really come out. You know, I was like, "Thank you guys for your support. I've always wanted to do this." <laughs> and I, like, like in literally in this stupid, in the silly little restaurant, normal restaurant, I guess. But uh, people are clapping for the size of of cone I've created. And uh, it's just ridiculous. Um, anyway, the whole thing off the mat lesson. Here we go. So I got to bring it back to jujitsu. Uh, people have different goals, and in, and my goal in that you might think it is to make the biggest cone possible. Really, it's just to get to kind of tease my wife at how ridiculous I'm being, or to um, just just have fun and be kind of silly. But it, on the mat, people have different goals. Some people might want to become like a top tier grappler. Some people might uh, want to. Uh, you know, lose a little weight or, you know, redefine their sweeping game or, or refine their sweeping game or, uh, you know, train with certain people or, you know, help out other people. Like there's lots of different goals. You can't tell the goal of the person necessarily just by looking at them or even sometimes training with them because sometimes when you're training with somebody, their behaviors don't actually match the goals they have set. So a lot of times it's really helpful just to ask them, you know, what are you hoping to get out of out of this this training session if it's just a, kind of a one-time thing or like if you're traveling or if you're teaching something, but it, you know, it, it's nice to know what your teammates want um out of training jiu-jitsu. And some of them it's pretty obvious. They're they're competing regularly, they they have goals about that, they talk about that. But a lot of teammates don't talk about their goals. And if their goal is to make a giant ice cream cone and and you don't know that <laughs> It's hard to support them in that, so I think it's it's a good conversation to have every now and then because goals do change. Uh, you know, th- their goal might be just be to come in and, and get kind of sweaty and get a workout out of jujitsu, but uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to tell what people's goals are unless you talk about it. And I think that's an important thing to to do in jujitsu. You know, I like what you're saying there. It's hard to tell what goals are unless you talk about it, and. Uh, Joe and I actually had this conversation last week. Uh, we were talking about goals, and I think Joe was a little surprised when I told him, really, I don't have goals for jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, I just show up, and uh, 
then really, I guess I want to have fun. I guess maybe that's a goal, but I never really set it as a goal. I do jujitsu because it's fun and I show up because I can burn some calories. I can have some fun. Um, but, uh, it, it was a pretty cool conversation that Joe and I were just talking about, uh, goals. Some people have them. I, maybe I might be the only one who doesn't. Um, but, uh, it was, it was a pretty good conversation. Yeah, you might not be the only one that doesn't, but I do think you're in a, a minority. Smaller, yeah, smaller yeah. field for sure. And I think you're in a, even a smaller field when you, you consider that you've been pretty dang successful at it. So I don't know I about that. But, uh, well, I mean, 16, you know, 17, 16, 17 years of getting better every year, that's pretty good. Well, the crazy thing is, since we talked about that, I've been thinking about that. You know, I was like, does everybody really set goals? I, you know, I just started. It's just been making my head wonder. But, you know, I wonder if the reason I don't really set goals, for me, goals aren't fun. Um, what what I deal with in work, I get goals every month, every year, and um, they're more of a uh, – uh, it, it puts a bad taste in my mouth because I see people all the time who don't hit goals uh, out on the unemployment line. Uh, you don't – get a you know you don't keep your job you don't um uh you don't get a raise you don't get your bonus and um so i mean it's nice the end result when you get a bonus but i guess i've just lived in this uh world too long that it's just like man i just finished one goal that i thought was impossible the next goal comes up you know and it leads to stress for me and i, I wonder if that has you know the goals for my work life has carried over to uh you know why I don't set goals in my fun life, which is jujitsu. I know that, that makes total sense. I think all of us kind of go to jujitsu to uh, get a break from our everyday life. And so, yeah, yeah, if your everyday life is all about setting goals, I don't blame you, Gary. Yeah. And, you know, I just think uh, I, I like what Byron said, though. I mean, we don't really know, especially if you're a gym owner, you really have to know why your people are training, you know, because everybody is different. I mean, uh, some schools are very heavily competition oriented and some schools aren't. And, you know, everybody is there for a different reason. And if you know that reason, it, you're just going to have a better relationship with your students, uh, you know, better retention. Um, it's uh, yeah, I, I really like this, this uh, lesson. Yeah. I mean, Gary, what if one of the guys you trained with goal was to get, I don't know, better pressure or what if it was to just get, make jujitsu a really good cardio workout and just to, to get that good sweat going for 45 minutes to an hour. Like those are two different things. And, and as a teammate, you could do things that are different. Like you, you, you know, you do do a lot of uh, long rolling sessions with people sometimes, and that would be perfect for the person who wants to turn this into a, you know, that calorie that burner, calorie burner. Yeah. You know, if they, if they want, to work, maybe they want to work on a certain part of their game. I think you do have goals sometimes with that. Like you say, hey, you know, I want to work on, uh, you know, leg locks for a little while, or I want to work on, you know, getting somebody's back and, and, and develop that part of my game. So it's not like a big goal of, you know, this is what's going to happen, but it's like you have areas of focus, which you could yeah, view those as yeah, a bit of a goal. I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess you could view that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So. I guess maybe I don't call it a goal, so I don't have to deal with... You don't uh, score. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it less stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think most goals, and we could, I, we've, we've talked about doing episodes about this, but can be broken down into smaller goals, 
which make them a lot more friendly. You know, if your goal is to be a doctor, well, and you're in high school, your first goal should be to start getting good grades. <laughs> like, don't worry about being a doctor yet. Get some good grades. You know, yeah. pay attention to school. Learn Take a how lot to of learn. science classes. Yeah, and then, and then your second goal will be get you know to the college you want to get into. Don't worry about you know passing the big medical tests. Uh, get into the right college. And your third goal is learn how not to sleep. That's probably on the list. Yep. Once you become a resident, you're uh, not uh, going to get much hard sleep. on them. Residents. That's what she said. Well, probably. All right, let's get to our interview with Maine Miller. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Maine Miller to the BJJ Brick podcast. Maine, I met you back at uh, ADCC, and uh, you, you are uh, the host or one of the members of Grappling Rewind podcast, and and, and we need to talk about that um, as far as what that is. But just get, get us on page. Who is Maine Miller? Tell us a little bit about your jiu-jitsu experience and what you do. Uh, how you guys doing? I'm Maine Miller. Um, I run and host the Grappling Rewind podcast along with my team. Um, I started jiu-jitsu um, probably six or seven years ago. And uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to learn how to fight. And I walked into an MMA gym and went, hey, I'd like to learn how to do this. And they went, there's jiu-jitsu class at six. Come back then. And I went, okay. And uh, I never looked back, really. Um, I started that, did a little MMA here and there, kind of trained it, but never actually fought. And then just really fell in love with jujitsu at kind of the tail end of college and then moved down here to Baltimore and just continued doing it. So I'm um, a purple belt now. I run the John Hopkins University uh, Club for Jiu-Jitsu. I also teach at a couple of Jason Academies, uh, Grapple Academy Martial Arts here in Nottingham and occasionally over at Baltimore BJJ. Um, but yeah, I love jujitsu and I train at down here in Baltimore. Cool. And uh grappling rewind let's talk about that for a little bit it's it there's really nothing like it that i that i've seen as far as covering competitive jiu-jitsu tell us a little bit about what started that and where it is today so it's kind of funny it, it started really with adcc 2017 um we, and everyone watched adcc and it's pretty much if you're going to watch a jiu-jitsu event in a two-year span, you're going to probably watch ADCC and tune in for that event. And so all of us, you know, on my gym and every other gym that I've trained at, were watching ADCC, and this dude came up, and he was subbing dudes. He subbed Leandro Lowe, sub Marillo, and I was like, who is Craig Jones? And why is there, like, very little information on who this standout grappler from Australia of all places is? And at that, it was that point I realized that there's not a whole lot of like week to week reporting on jujitsu. And if you want to follow the pro scene, because this guy's that good, there should be a ton of information. You should have been able to see him and like people should have been able to follow him competing in the lead up to ADCC because a guy that good doesn't just kind of appear out of nowhere. He's been competing. He's been winning for a long time. And if you look at his record before ADCC, you can kind of see that. And we realized that there was no there was no way to follow professional jujitsu in any sort of week to week format. And so we decided, Hey, do you want to start, you know, covering all the pro events for pro jujitsu so that people that are interested in it, like we are, can follow it because there's just not a resource out there for it. And so if there's not one, you sort of have to create it. And so we created the grappling rewind and started covering all of the pro events. And it took a while for us to figure, figure out exactly how to do that because when we started, there was no big cohesive list. And really, there still isn't a cohesive list aside from the list that kind of we make on our website um, for all of the events cross-platform. So we cover stuff on Flow Grappling, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Fight Pass. If it's a pro event with commentary um, that has like decent streaming and has results up after the event, we try to cover it at least in some fashion so that people that are interested in Pro Jiu-Jitsu can, can watch it. 
Yeah, that's great. And you, you mentioned that list, and we've talked about it on the show as well. It's it's nice to see because uh, typically you're just looking at the list of what promotion has something coming up. You guys are independent and are able to talk about any promotion you want, to talk any, any competitor you want to talk about. It's really nice having yeah. that that there. Yeah, we, and that's really what really, we like because because we're not tied to anything. We can, if we want to cover a Polaris on the same day we do a quintet and a fight to win, or an IBJJF event, or something, um, you know, something on a, on a different platform, we can do that. We can cover really what we're interested in covering, and we find that's the best. That's kind of the best is we can see a huge range of different grapplers that maybe aren't on, maybe a guy that's not in the sub only scene or a guy that's only in the sub only scene, and so we get to see all of that all those different styles of grapplers, all the different styles of rule sets, and it's really just a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I come at jiu from a different angle as far as, like, I, I don't watch nearly as much jiu-jitsu as you do as, as far as competitive jiu-jitsu, and it's, it's just, I, I have never really watched that much sports of anything. Um, and with jiu-jitsu, I think that it's interesting that the people that watch it also do jiu-jitsu. It's much different than MMA. When most people watch MMA, have no ability or any real desire to do MMA. They're just fans of that. But right. the jiu-jitsu practitioner, the, your audience, is actively doing the sport you're talking about. And I think it's an interesting perspective. So you're able to talk about it in ways that's like our level. Like we're able to talk about the techniques like to somebody who actually knows how to do this technique or has at least attempted it or has had it done to them. I think yeah. it's a neat perspective. You're, you're kind of preaching to the choir here with with – the show, like really, no one is really very few people, if anyone, is watching jujitsu that's not actively doing jujitsu, or they're watching a family member compete in jujitsu. So we have a really interesting audience there because the people that you're kind of talking to are the ones that are actually on the mats and like engaged in jujitsu on a week to week basis. And so because we are in that kind of niche, um, I think the term I use for it a lot of the times is um, like we are enthusiast press. We are engaged in the sport. We're talking to people that are also engaged into the sport. And so we have a kind of a different perspective there on what we're watching versus talking to kind of a layman because typically the layman isn't really involved in the sport. Yeah, that's cool. So let's, to, to talk about what's happened over the last year, because, I mean, we're airing this uh, in December. Uh, the, the year is kind of behind us here, and I think it's interesting to do kind of a recap because things have changed over this last year. What have been some things that you would like to talk about, you know, kind of a broad topic, but we have some stuff kind of that we want to cover. But over the course of the year, anything that's that's a big standout for you? Man, it has been a good it has been a good year. I'm really happy we're doing this now because we do our year end recap show um, pretty much this time. So we're going to be recording it actually this Monday uh, for our show. So I have a giant list of stuff together. We usually do a top 10 breakdown. We're still kind of talking about the top 10 matches of the year internally. So I don't have that list yet. But um, really, it was a great year for super fights. Uh, the highlight of the year, I mean, everyone's going to say it is going to be ADCC. We saw so many amazing performances come out of ADCC and so many like really cool moments and grapplers. Again, somebody gets famous every year at ADCC and we had really two guys this year that, that took it away. And that was Lachlan Giles and Tyra Tolo. Uh, both those dudes just put on performances at ADCC. And honestly, ADCC as a whole this year was unlike any other year like it was hands down probably one of the greatest grappling events or it was the greatest grappling event that's ever been um done it paid out huge the production was great it it filled it filled an arena and you were there and we met actually that's where we met 
it was unlike any other event that has ever been done for jujitsu. And that I think really elevated the sport in a big way. Yeah. It, it was it, it, in those two grapplers you're talking about. It's interesting uh, to just to watch them. Like having talked to Lachlan before that years ago, and then soon after that event, it's just amazing what he did as far as like a total turnaround. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. He lost in the first round, and then the person yeah, that the, beat him went to lose that next fight. Like that yeah, doesn't I mean, he, feel he, he good. Looked- no, he lost to Lepree, and then Lepree gets beat. And then he, as a guy, I think he was, was he 66? Yes, Or 77? Right. I don't know. Oh, sorry, he was 77. That He was 77 okay. this year. And then he goes in as one of the smaller guys in absolute, and then he taps Kanan Duarte. And Kanan Duarte had just won in 99, <laughs> plus 9. I think literally the guy that just won the biggest division, you have a guy that got knocked out in the first round of the second to the smallest division. You can't bit, and he doesn't big, just, get a bigger underdog. Like <laughs> No, I mean, really, like, there was almost not a bigger underdog in the absolute. And he gets him. It's like, okay, that's a huge win in itself. And then, okay, so he wins, so he goes to the next round. And you have Patrick Gaudio. And it's like, okay, he's not going to get by Gaudio because, like, you get, you, get, you, get I want, you get a guy once. Okay, I can understand that. You're probably not going to get another guy that was at 88 or 99, like anything above that. And he taps him with the exact same technique again. And we were in the arena like, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. That's, yeah. And then he runs into Gordon, and Gordon Rinnick chokes him. And then he went, okay, well, he has a third-place match now with Muhammad Ali, another dude that's in the plus 99-kilogram division that's giant and huge. And he gets him with the same exact technique. So that dude's the giant slayer, man. He had, he had the breakout performance of ADCC because nobody expected him to, A, beat Duarte, then beat Gaudio, then beat Ali by the same technique, a really similar entry. Like, it was it was amazing. And he talked about it, like, directly after. I think he gained, like, 12,000 Instagram <laughs> followers that day. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. And, and now he's been on a seminar tour across the United States and across the world. And, like, that's a real life-changing thing. Lachlan's been around for a while. I think he's been on AD, been to ADCC, I think, two or three separate times. Yeah, he, he was in the, 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 the time before... And I don't think he, I don't remember if he got past his first match or not. But um, I told him after it was over. Um, they lost to Torres in 2017. That's, that's it was. okay. Uh, yeah. It's like, it was odd after it was all over. Um, you know, they have the guys up on the podiums getting pictures and stuff like that. And he gets up there for the third place for the absolute. And and I said, there was a there was a belt or a trophy. I can't remember what it was. I said, best fighter. And I was like, you're getting that. And they didn't give it to anybody. I didn't, have you ever, like, they actually made the belt. I have a picture of it. It says best yeah, yeah, fighter. Her, what happened to that? Did something happen to that? Okay, it's a trophy. Uh, I thought Gordon got that. Okay. I didn't, I didn't think that they awarded it to anybody that day. No, that, no, they didn't award it that day. It was awarded, I want to say, one or two weeks later. Okay. Um, they all came out and I forget exactly who got it. I thought it was Gordon cause he got double gold. Another, again, another really amazing performance of the year. Yeah. You know, he taps, he taps six out of eight guys at the highest level, you know, to win double gold. And potentially we're going to see that match with Galvao now that kind of has been ruminating for a couple years at this point. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, that, that's one of my highlight moments of the year as, as a little guy, like I'm a guy that I can, <laughs> I can make 145 if I decide to compete on Wednesday night, if weigh-ins are on Friday, 
Like, it's not that hard. So a guy like around that size, and Lachlan's a little bigger than me, but to see a guy have success like that and actually like tapping some of the best guys in the world, like Muhammad Ali, world champion, Kanan Duarte, world champion in the Gi and IBJJF champion, you know, Gaudio up there as well, world champion. It, it's, it's super impressive. And so as a little guy in that arena, just absolutely lost it during that. Yeah, match. that was the, the three loudest times by far. Uh, oh, in yeah. that arena it was it was his three submission victories, which were, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, that was that, that was a pretty wild experience. Something that it was a really special moment for the year, I think. And that's I, we get moments like that very infrequently in jujitsu, and for it to culminate at the biggest, greatest grappling event ever, and you have a guy put on a performance like that against the level of competition that he had in conjunction with all the other great matches, like one of the best matches ever, um, Canuto versus Tonin. Yeah. Like that happened in the absolute as well, or I think it was weight class as well. Um, you had like Tyra Tolo's breakout performance in ADCC. You had Gordon winning double gold. You had him versus Bouchesha. Like there were so many great moments. You had Pena versus Galvao. There were so many great moments that happened in that ADCC. And so it's really hard to pick one, but um, that was just such a unique moment or really a section of unique moments. Uh, it really is definitely in the top contention for like moments of 2019. Yeah. It that that was uh, all of those, <laughs> and uh, and I do believe you could go to Flow and watch the whole thing, the whole event. Uh, oh yeah, is, uh, is it is it by match or is it by is it by you can actually like sit and watch the whole thing? That's I don't know. I I that's a good question. It's probably See, by match. We usually go back if individual matches are up. We usually do it that way just because uh, it's difficult to jump to find stuff. Um, when we're trying to recap it or trying to go back to watch and do tape study on guys. So typically, we'll, once the individual matches are up, we jump directly to that. But a lot of times initially for events, we'll go through before the matches are up because we record our show typically on Sunday or Monday night. Um, and so events typically occur on Saturday or Friday. And so the the matches aren't up for a lot of promotions. And so we'll, watch, we'll go through whole events. But I don't know if ADCC has actual – I assume they have map broadcasts. But I know they've parsed everything out into individual matches now. Yeah, and that was hard to watch. As far as uh, when they started Absolute, was it two mats at the same time or three? It, when they started Absolute, it was three. That was insane. I'm like, I want to yeah. watch all of these matches, and and I'm just losing my my, my neck is getting sore from looking around. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, well, and we were we were both kind of backstage there, so I was in the process of trying to watch matches, trying to grab guys for interviews, and do a bunch of other things while we were there to generate content for the Grappling Rewind, while also you know, watching the matches so that later that evening we can go into our recap show in the Airbnb um, on the podcast. And so yeah. it was, uh, that was, I think I've finally probably just caught up on sleep from that event like <laughs> this week. Just, just because it was so much. I think I was, I was sleeping like three hours or four hours a night the, at ADCC. Yeah. We'd go to the event early. We would kind of set up. We would then watch the event. We would be there till after everyone left, like getting final interviews and, you know, figuring out everything. Then we would leave. We would eat. We would go back to the hotel. We would record an entire recap of the day. Then I would edit that, and then I would upload it to um, the RSS for the podcast, and then the YouTube page after we'd edit the video. And then I would go to sleep and we'd do it again. Yep. So it was uh, it was it was a long it was a couple long days, but it was it was a really cool experience, and uh, it got me really excited. Even if all that work we did, it got me really excited for 2021 because if it's anything like um, 2019, because now it's still got Seth. From Vite to Win producing it. Mo Jassum is still going to be the event organizer. And it's the first time we've ever had an event organizer run it twice in a row. And that sort of speaks to the quality of 
um, how good the 2019 event was. Yeah, he's the right guy. And he had the right team. Yeah. Um, so there were other events that happened this year as well that were pretty amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> that's definitely by far the one I'm the most familiar with being there, having all the build up and studying the competitors before the, the event and all that sort of thing. Uh, what other highlights as far as events or promotions um, catch your eye? We had Spider this year. We had Spider last year as well, but Spider Beach Day Korea, uh, they had their finals uh, a couple months ago, and they paid out $100,000 to the winners of that event. And that is the biggest BJJ purse that we have ever seen, and it's a hallmark for the sport. That Putting that much money into athletes' hands, into the community, is only a good thing, and we're seeing more events pay out more and more money. But I think Spider, just with the vol- with the amount of money, they had two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the athletes in that event. And that's that that is, again, unlike anything we've ever seen. ADCC in total pays out about that much across, you know, I think uh nine divisions or something like that. I've got that completely wrong. So it's really cool to see athletes now. We're seeing people that can start legitimately making a living for themselves just as competitors. And I think that's a big shift that we've seen um, even in from 2017 to 2018 into 2019 is that if you were at the top, top level, you know, you're probably going to be putting out your instructionals as well, but you can win enough tournaments throughout the year to actually survive as a pro athlete. If you choose to do that, none of the guys choose to do that because the real money is in, you know, instructionals and seminars and that sort of thing, but it's becoming a viable option. And that's, that's a big shift. I think it's kind of an underrated shift in the sport right now is that guys can, be professional athletes finally yeah i've heard of it said like a world champion title will make you money and the fact that you could teach and make more money while you teach right uh it's, it's a marketing thing basically yeah i mean and the ibgf on, on this is actually the first year that they paid out the gi world championships as well and i'm not sure what the highest payout was i think it was close to five grand i know it was up to seven grand if you had 33 people or 32 people in your division but there were no divisions that actually met that requirement this year but it is a pretty big deal that they're finally paying out for the world championships again it's it's we're starting to see athletes being awarded money for winning in competition and that's a really good shift in the sport because people getting paid only increases the level of professionalism, only increases the ability of guys to have a legitimate camp going into these events, and it brings up the overall level of the sport. So, you know, it, it's not, definitely a, not a bad thing. Yeah. And so uh, Spider uh, was in South Korea, uh, just getting the basic facts here, gi only, and did they yep. have two-way classes? Yeah, they had two weight classes. They had an above 100 kilogram weight class, or sorry, under 100 kilogram weight class, and they had an uh, under 76 kilogram weight class. I think is what they had. Okay. And it was it was a really great event. Again, some of the matches were definitely on the slower side, but when you're competing for a hundred thousand dollars, you know it's you expect people to come in with their A game and play down to the T the game that you know that is going to win them that money. It's not necessarily a rule set that's fostered on or it's looking for action. That rule set is really looking for who is the best grappler under that rule set. And so, you know, that that's something that kind of people tend to tend to overlook a little bit is what is the rule set facilitating? Like a quintet style event, I mean there were some great ones this year, yeah. is really a rule set that's looking to entertain you. It's not necessarily looking for who is the best grappler because of a number of, number of factors. It's looking for, hey, here's an entertaining grappling event to watch. Something like Spider and the IBJJF World Championships and ADCC, those events are really looking for, okay, we want to see 
who the best grappler is. And those can stand apart. Yeah, the, the idea that they're looking at the who's the best grappler, it, there are two different things. And if, you, if you're going into a match thinking how I'm really going to make my living off of this is doing seminars for the next the X amount of months or years, whatever, getting something that's exciting, doing, you know, landing a submission, all those things, they help get your name out there versus getting the W out of a, out of a kind of a boring match. And if, yeah. if you're getting paid with a W, <laughs> their boring match is okay. Like in, in the, in the pocketbook area, like if you're, if you're looking for that big payday on, on the mat, um, you know, during the event, that's a little different than if you yeah. plan on getting your name out there. Like, look how much uh, Lachlan Giles name got out, getting three submissions right. on guys he shouldn't be able to hang with, you know, looking on paper. It, uh, yeah, that was a, a good opportunity for him. And he's making his money afterwards. Yeah. And that's why guys like, you know, Gary Tonin coming back from MMA, or not really coming back, like he'd always kind of entertained the idea of him doing grappling matches while still competing in his MMA career, but he was given the ADCC invitation, he then declined it to focus on MMA, and then he accepted it when he didn't have a fight book close to ADCC, went and put on one of the, you know, one of the most exciting grappling matches we've seen in the year versus Canuto, and we had talked about it on the show that he probably has three or five of the most exciting grappling matches uh, in the decade. And that's pretty amazing from one guy that he comes and brings the pace. But another guy that kind of came on our radar last year, but really this year, and even more so in the last six months, is Dante Leon, another guy that really comes and brings it and is a, is a has a very very exciting style as well as can hang at the top level like we saw him take Laprise back at uh, I think Euros um, and we saw him this, just this last weekend at Nogi Worlds win a Nogi World title I'm mean, sorry it wasn't Worlds it was Euros it was took Laprise back at ADCC uh, but Leon is another guy that is exciting and can compete at the top level and those guys are really really rare so like it's cool to see we're we're finding people that. Um, are not about the stalling game, are not necessarily just um, their only game plan is a boring game plan. We have guys now like Leon coming in, they can put on exciting matches, even guys like Mateus Lutez, like can put on really exciting matches while still, you know, getting the win. Yeah, and he's, he's a fun one to watch and and uh, and also talk to. He's, he's a serious grappler. Um, something that always kind of annoys me a little bit <laughs> is is watching you know a great grappler go to mma and there's some reasons i think there are good reasons to do that and some reasons which kind of annoy me do you think we've seen more of this over this year or less of this or where do you see this going so it, it goes both ways every year we lose some people in quotes there to mma but I think this year, more than any other year, we've seen a lot of them come back and continue to grapple. Um, we've seen Hadolfo Vieira come back. We saw him come back once in 2018 for Black Belt CBD, um, but we saw him a couple times this year compete in grappling events. We've seen Gary Tonin come back. We've seen both Ari Farias and AJ Agazarm stay somewhat active in jiu-jitsu. Guys like Jake Shields are coming over from jiu-jitsu and doing more grappling matches. Uh, so it that, for me, says something that... There is probably incentive now for guys to come back. So uh, I think Muhammad Ali has an MMA fight scheduled coming up. Um, and we definitely see guys, you know, leave for MMA and come back. Dylan Dennis, AJ Agazarm. But I'm happy that at least jiu-jitsu has some pull to bring these guys back now. Um, because, that's, because that just lets me keep covering them 
in jujitsu, which is you know primarily what I'm interested in in watching most of the time. Yeah. So it's not it's not I, again I can't think of offhand who left for MMA that we haven't seen come back. And for me, that's good. Oh yeah, guys like Dorino, you know, actively fighting in the UFC and ranked in the UFC. And I think we've covered Dorino. Um, or at least previewed one of his matchups on like the last four or six of our shows. So he's a guy that's competing in jujitsu in the gi and no gi almost every weekend. And so it's really cool that that wasn't the case before. We weren't seeing guys do MMA and jujitsu interchange. We'd see them leave for MMA and then they would be gone. And then maybe at the end of their, their career, they might come back. But we're seeing a lot more fluidity because hopefully because the money's there. Yeah. I think it's always – I think the, the frustrating part for me is when they leave to make money. You know, like there is money in jujitsu. You have to sometimes find it and maybe wiggle within within the niche a little bit to, to be able to make it work. But you you can make, you know, money. Like it's like competing, teaching, teaching seminars. But when it's like I'm going to make money in MMA – well, that's also very difficult. <laughs> yeah, and, and you see guys take a lot of damage too, yeah. which is which shortens guys. And again, if you can make a lot of money in MMA, and I am never going to say a guy that is a world class grappler, world class athlete, if you want to make your money, however you want to make your money, your athletic prime is very short in the grand yeah, scheme true. of things. Whatever you can do to you know make yourself a career and put money on your table, you know, go for it. Selfishly, I like watching guys in jujitsu, but. You saw guys like Kron and guys like Gary like go into MMA and be really exciting. And so I, I do still enjoy MMA. I still like MMA. I still watch a lot of MMA. But I would much rather see the guys that are at the top level in jiu-jitsu stay in jiu-jitsu because that brings the level of all competitors in that sport up. Yeah. And so when those guys have to leave to make money, um, I understand it. But I would still much rather them be able to stay in jiu-jitsu and be able to generate you know a lot of money for themselves in the sport that I really enjoy watching. I so like I, I don't know who all I don't follow when they go to MMA or you know and I don't even follow you know competitive j- grappling that much or as much as I probably should but like Ryan Hall said I want to be the best martial arts I can be and and this is take, pulling me in this direction doing MMA I want to fight in the UFC he's you know like that sort of thing that's cool if you if that's what you want to do but just to trade brain cells for dollars <laughs> which I mean as you rack up the concussions and, and the hard training. Ultimately, that's what you're doing. Like, I'm not a big fan of MMA. I think it's well. That's why I stopped doing MMA. I trained for like two years. I got knocked out a couple times, and I was like, I'm going to stop doing this because uh, this is really hard to study microbiology and uh, get punched <laughs> in my face. Oh, I'm going to go do jujitsu because I can, you know, I can go through a college degree and I can train every day. And yeah, my joints are a little sore. I'm a little sore here and there, but I'm not getting knocked out. Yeah. And I'm not getting punched in my face. And so, like, for me, it was a longevity shift. I was like, I really enjoyed MMA, but I just couldn't continue to operate academically on the level that I needed to and that I wanted to while still doing MMA. And so I went, okay, I really enjoy jiu-jitsu. I'm relatively competent at it. I have a good body style for it. Um, and it's, it excites me and entertains me. Why don't I just put more of my athletic and kind of energy into this versus something that I really enjoy, but I'm probably never going to fight, probably never compete in this. I don't really wish to make a career out of it, um, but I really love jiu-jitsu, so let's keep doing this. Yeah. That, that, that's <laughs> You're looking at long-term things on your body is important. And and like you said, with, with these guys that do, do MMA, you, your athletic uh, ability has a kind of a clock on it at that level because there's no... 
age categories that you're going to jump into and do MMA, you know, at the at the Masters level or anything. No, like, that doesn't look happen. Look at Uriah Faber this weekend. Like, Uriah Faber, I think, is 40 and fighting at Bantamweight fought Peter Yan. And Peter Yan is a young, like, hungry fighter that's at the top of that division. And Faber got, like, really injured in that fight. Like, I think this is the first time we've seen him finished with strikes in his career. I could be wrong about that, but offhand, you know, even it, it was the twilight of his career to come back out of retirement. It's like, okay, you have a, your Faber is really, really good. But eventually those years catch up and you deal with a young dude coming up that's going to punch you in the face a lot. And, you know, that your athleticism runs out a little bit as you get older. Yeah. The hard thing is, I think it is for the MMA guys, is they're not when they, when they come over back to jujitsu or they come to jujitsu, it's not the same. <laughs> like jujitsu has changed a lot in the past five years or whatever. Oh, yeah, even five years. I mean, look at it back. Look back in what was what was the hotness in 2016? That was probably uh, we were kind of past. We were starting to get into leg locks. Okay. 2016. It was when the EBIs really popped off, and everyone was like on the leg lock kick. That was right before ADCC 2017, where Gordon, you know, put everyone at clinic on. Um, before that, it was a lot of guys doing the Barambolo. Before that, it was the X Garden. So if you've been out of jiu-jitsu for five or six years and you're coming back in, you're you're coming into a huge deficit of, okay, hey, uh, just so you know, guys are going to fall back on your legs and it's not for anything now. It, they're really good. And unless you've studied these positions and been in there a lot, um, they're probably going to rip your leg off for the first six or eight months until you kind of come back up to snuff with your grappling. Yeah. And that could be a difficult thing for a top tier MMA athlete to have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, those guys principally, like, I want to get to most most guys in MMA. If you're a grappler, uh, you're either looking to get to the back, you're probably looking to get to the top half guard to put damage on a guy. Um, but other than that, in modern MMA, there are very few guys. Uh, I think Ryan Hall offhand at the highest level that are going back and falling for heel hooks. Really, like, it, it's not a good strategy because we've seen it with Frank Mir back in the day versus, like, Ian Freeman. Going for the toehold gets pounded out. And it's it's a tough strategy to implement because you, you no longer have a dominant top position, which in MMA is such a critical thing because if you make a mistake or you don't control well enough, like, I can start punching you in the face a lot. Yeah. And so the modern leg lock strategy is really – a lot of it is really grappling-centric. And so if you've been out of that and all of a sudden the positional dominance isn't as necessary or isn't as imp- isn't as important and so you're coming into a whole new leg lock game that is entirely divorced from what you what was required in MMA. Yeah, that yeah, you have a lot of good points there. For 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 general fan appeal, um does Nogi have an advantage over Gi? For fan appeal, I mean, it all depends. I mean, I, I think about this a lot versus like what is the most exciting You think what's the most exciting rule set? Is it gi or no gi? It, it all depends on the grappler, really. You okay. can put Wagner or Gary or a guy like Dante in either, and that dude's going to be exciting. Like they are just going to put up in whatever thing. You could throw them in a sambo gi. You could throw them in wrestling shoes. Those guys are going to be exciting. Um, you have certain guys that are grindy, top pressure smash, or guys that are looking for the ad that are just aren't going to be exciting, and they're going to always fight to their rule set to win. Um, I think Nogi is definitely faster, 
but you get a lot of times where let's say I can't take him down or there's there you can stall in different places in nogi in gi you're more likely to have a guy walk into the guard and try to pass using grips versus in nogi you're more than likely going to watch a guy in the seated butt position and they're going to touch hands for 30 or 40 seconds before one guy finally starts to step in um, you can also get a lot more in disengagement in Nogi. And yeah. so a guy on the top can keep resetting the position over and over and over and over and over. And there's really no way to keep him there as the bottom player. Same thing with the standup. If you have a guy that you can't get in on um, in the gi, you can kind of hold them and drag them down. And you have other opportunities to take them down. Other things that you can do that are going to trip that person up. Versus in Nogi, if someone really wants to disengage or really wants to keep their hips away, it's going to be very difficult to get that guy down if he's the whole point of what he's trying to do is not let you take him down. So they can stall in different places, um, but I think more than anything, it's a rule set item where exciting rule sets foster action and it's a grappler thing. Um, you know, exciting grapplers are exciting. So I definitely think the Gi is. I mean, Nogi is faster paced, and typically that is more fan-friendly, but I can point to a bunch of Gi matches that were absolutely crazy. Um, I can't do it offhand right now, but there are a bunch of Gi matches that have been absolutely crazy, and a bunch of Nogi matches that have been absolutely crazy. But a lot, more so than not, it's usually grappler-dependent versus uh, you know, clothing-dependent. So all that being said, is there something about ADCC's rule set, or is it just the level of grapplers that show up to that event that make it so exciting? It's kind of both, I think. I mean, whenever you put, it's, a lot of things make ADCC work and make it work really well. A, there's, there was prize money for years, and guys want to compete and win that prize money. Two, they have the best guys in the world that are going to go as hard as they possibly can to win that prize money. Uh, it's also super prestigious. If winning ADCC is probably the, as from a from a making money standpoint, probably the best thing you can do in your career is be an ADCC medalist or an ADCC winner. That goes a really long, long way. Uh, it has transfer over to MMA where people in MMA, uh, no gi worlds, they, I mean, sorry, gi worlds, they kind of know, but for the most part, they understand ADCC. There's a lot more crossover there. And being an ADCC champion has a little bit broader of appeal. Um, but the other thing is, is that their rule set kind of fosters that. They are pretty decent with penalties. Um, they put an emphasis on the takedown. They put an emphasis on who is engaging in the positions. So if someone is implementing and what I think, forget what the term they use is. Uh, I remember we didn't talk about it at the rule at the rules meeting uh, on Friday of ADCC. They talked about whoever is initiating in the positions is going to win. So if the bottom player is initiating, they are going to win the decision. If the top player is initiating and controlling those positions, they are going to win. And so it puts the emphasis on the player that's going to implement more and be engaging more is going to get the decision. And so that pushes both people to be the one engaging, be the one actively sweeping, be the one going for something in conjunction with they have low scoring matches. You know, you're not getting uh, like four and six points at a time for most moves. You're getting two points at a time or three points for something, you know. And so you can never really – it's very difficult to rack up a bunch of points on someone because it's so hard with the way the scoring is kind of put together. And so there's a lot of different things that make ADCC work. Um, but I think it's no small part uh, a rules item and no small part a grappler item. Are we seeing more – super fights or does it just seem like that because of the social media stuff oh we're definitely seeing more super fights um i have an event calendar we've i've been keeping our event calendar since i think 
uh, probably public facing since about uh, June of 2018. And you can look at the frequency of events. You know, there was times back in, you know, probably early 2018 where we would cover an event a weekend or we would preview an event or we would, you know, you'd have one or two events that were occurring. Now we, some of us have to pick and choose what we're going to be able to cover with the team that we have because there's just too many events happening, um, which is a great thing that, a great problem to have. We've seen probably four or five different promotions that have put on multiple events come around this year alone. And, you know, we see a couple of promotions fade out, but more than not, there's more, there are more people in the space now than there were before. I mean, yeah. previously, fight, I mean, the reason why we can really do our show initially was because Fight to Win runs 40 events a year. And so a lot of weeks, only Fight to Win is running an event. And so it's like, okay, well, we'll cover that this week because they have big level grapplers on it, but they are the guys that are running shows. And now, more frequently than not, there are other events and other shows happening and we have more to cover. You know, Fight to Win is always going to be a staple there because they put on high level guys and they run week to week. But there's now way more competitors, there's way more matches, there's way more promotions in the space than there were even a year ago. I mean, we've seen a huge explosion of just the amount of promotions out there. And everyone is slightly tweaking the rule set and trying different things and expanding so that people are seeing what's working and what's not working. And it's just helping the sport. So one of the uh, more recent super fights was uh, Gordon Ryan and Bo Nickel. <laughs> uh, watch that. What was your thoughts on that one? I was Matt's side, so it was fun. Um, the, the hybrid rule sets are weird for me yeah. a little bit because a lot of it is, again, I, I, I appreciate what it does on a broader scope. It gets wrestlers into potentially watching submission grappling. It gets submission grapplers into watching more wrestling and kind of melding the two worlds and potentially broadening the audience. But it's always going to come down to rule set, especially if you have a top level guy like Gordon versus a top level guy like Bo. Does the rule set favor the, the submission dude or does it favor the wrestler? And usually who's going to win is going to be, and we saw it versus Pat, Pat Downey versus Nick Rodriguez. We saw Pat Downey win with pushouts and like with takedowns. He didn't have to, he didn't have to mat, mat grapple at all. It was, it was a straight up wrestling match and Nick Rodriguez is a very, very good jujitsu wrestler, but versus a world team guy in Pat Downey, he just really wasn't able to, you know, to do anything with that. And the same thing kind of happened for Bo. Bo got, went to the ground with Gordon and didn't have a ton of items that he could do because he had to engage in the ground. And so the rule set is always going to foster, or right now with the hybrid rule sets we're seeing, it's always going to give an advantage to one guy or the other guy. And I can't think of a rule set that is going to really even the playing field unless you do rounds. But we've also seen that before where we've seen people that are wrestlers go against judo guys or jujitsu guys. They do it in Asia occasionally. Um, and whatever rule set is active for that round, the person that is the practitioner of that rule set wins. And then whenever it goes to submission grappling, the other practitioner wins. Yeah. And so it doesn't really, there's not enough crossover in the skill set right now t to make them super, um, super competitive. So if, if Bo would have been able to pin Gordon Ryan, like literally like a wrestling pin and get a win off of that. 
you think he could have done that? I don't that? think he win by pin. No, but you know, if they would have changed, like, we're tweaking rule sets here. Like, yeah. you shouldn't be able to choke a guy either if it's wrestling. There's no triangle choke. But, like, right. if, if like, let's say we'll give you that. Like, there's an incentive to engage on the ground. Like, basically, you can't really pin a – he's not going to be able to pin Gordon Ryan from guard. He's going to have to get to side control, basically. Right, or and then he's, some he's never going to yeah. Versus a guy like I mean, that's the thing. If the problem is at the highest levels, if you unless you, I mean, there are very few guys in jujitsu that understand passing. They can pass Gordon Ryan's guard. Yeah, that's true. And so Bo Nickel is an outstanding wrestler, but the guys that do only the jujitsu thing can't compete with Gordon in that phase. Yeah, you're. I'm, it's the same reason. Like, why would you ever expect Gordon to be able to take down Bo with a standard, you know, single leg or a double leg in that context? It's just that's the guy that does that thing. Yeah, it's just why, the Bo I, had like literally no incentive to to be on the mat with him. Right. And so your your goal is to get a takedown late because that's your best yeah. best pathway to victory, and that's completely understandable. But it's one of those it's it's a hybrid rule set item, and it's very difficult when you're trying to meld two styles that that have huge deficits of skill from the other practitioner and huge areas of advantage in other areas. Yeah. It's just a very, very odd thing. And I appreciate what they're doing from a sport perspective because it's it will hopefully get more people engaged in the sport. I mean, I hear way more people this year that are interested in learning how to wrestle and learning takedowns on the feet and implementing it in competition than last year. You know, it, it's it's maybe it's my group of people that I work with or that we train together. Um, and I'm even seeing it on the forums. Like you're seeing a larger emphasis being placed on takedowns versus it was a thing, yeah, you should kind of know a takedown or two or be good or have a couple items and be competent. But we are seeing more people actually actively interested in learning a takedown game and learning wrestling and than I think before. So it's a good thing. But the the hybrid rule sets is always going to be difficult at the highest levels because you're always going to have a huge skill advantage and a skill deficit, sorry, de- deficit um, whenever you kind of match those two guys up. The, the, the guy that's not a top-level wrestler is not going to double-leg the top-level wrestler, and the guy who's a top-level submission grappler is not going to not submit the other guy on the mat. And so it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of conundrum, and I've, I'm super happy that I'm not a promoter when it comes to that <laughs> because I have no idea. I mean, all we do every single week is talk about different events and usually a portion of that is we talk about the rules for that event so that whoever's listening to our show can understand kind of the context of what the match is, how the match is happening, where are the points that someone's going to want to score from and how does it work. And so we look at a lot of different rules and we actually did an entire show. I think might've been this year, might've been last year on various rule sets and what rule sets foster the most action and what rule sets, what are the kind of the pros and the cons of different rule sets and things we'd like to see in the future. And it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. I mean, I think Ricardo Amendola today on Instagram put up, um, it was like a, it was a question of, Hey, how do we, how would you like to change this rule? And there's huge responses, um, on both sides of, you know, how to change the rules, how to make things more exciting, how to incentivize positions, how to incentivize certain, you know, action on the mat. And it's, it's an ongoing and it's a, da- a dynamic, uh, discussion, but I'm really happy that we're talking about the discussion because it helps make the sport better. And being married to a single rule set, um, I think at this stage, jujitsu is, is not a good thing. We see we see all these different rule sets, and I think they all bring something right now that is really unique, and I'm very happy to cover a variety of rule sets. Um, 
but I would like to see kind of a, not a more uniform rule set, but I would like to see ones come about that foster more action so that it is more spectator friendly. Because yeah. although it's going to be really hard to get jujitsu in front of people that don't train, if you make it exciting enough, um, there's plenty of other sports that people don't do that they watch. Like look at football, look at, you know, basketball, look at tennis, look at cycling, you know, plenty of sports that people don't participate in, but they're happy to watch. Jiu-jitsu could be that, but we have to have a system and a broadcast that is exciting to watch. Um, and I think we're going there, but I think it's going to take some time before someone comes along and figures out how to make it work. Yeah. And it's not just the necessarily the rules and the action. Like one of the things that makes jujitsu much easier to watch for anybody especially entry level or just casual sports fans is having good commentators. Like that makes a huge difference. Cause if you, you gotta be pretty elite to watch a match and just know what's going on constantly. Like that takes, you could train for 10 years and and be a little confused with what's happening on the, on the match. (laughs) Like having commentators that can call it out, it really helps a ton. And then having podcasts like yours, like that, that, get you excited about the matches or that will help you break down what actually happened or, or the people that are on the mats that also helps it build, it builds, uh, you know, characters in the sport. It builds, it builds uh, figures to root for. Yeah. I think one of the, yeah, we deal with a lot of bad commentary. We, we hear, we hear it all. We hear great commentators and we hear a lot of bad commentary. There has been, there are more than a few promotions uh, that I will typically mute when watching because <laughs> the, or the comment, because the commentary, Sometimes it's just bad commentary. Sometimes it's off-topic commentary, which kind of bugs me for different reasons. Other times it's sort of like they don't take it seriously, and that always bothers me because I just find it disrespectful to the athletes. If you're kind of joking around when you're really supposed to be calling the action, that bothers me as well. Um, but there are plenty. There are a couple guys that do it really, really well, like Jared Labudo. Um, whenever Jay's on the mic, I'm happy to listen to Josh Palmer. Whenever that dude is calling an event, you know, it's it's awesome to listen to because those guys understand the pacing. They're professional broadcasters, and they understand what it takes to do it right, how to be engaging, how to be informative, how to do predictive commentary. Um, and and yeah, so I think commentary could really come a long way. Um, there's a lot of guys that think that they're hilarious on the mic. And your goal a lot of times in uh, jiu-jitsu commentary is not to be hilarious. Your job is to successfully and kind of explain what's going on into the match and then tell the, tell the viewers what you're watching, you know, and why it's important and where someone's going. And so I, I wish, I hope we get better commentators or more good commentators in the sport in 2019 because I'm, I'm tired of listening to stuff on mute. Yeah, <laughs> like just you give it a picture. If if Maine, you know, passes his knee over Byron's leg and gets to the other side of his leg, he's going to likely pass his guard. Like, and then so suddenly your eyes are drawn to this, and it's something that you were just watching casually. You're watching this little mini fight occur, and and it's all hanging on the balance of whether you could, you know, if you're getting your knee passed where my leg is or whatever the the course may be. Like, it helps a ton to understand it and to and to make it more entertaining and to appreciate it on a smaller detail detail yeah. level. It's really hard to, it's really hard to do. You know, yeah. there's not there's there's plenty of guys that are outstanding practitioners that are just not as great commentators. Um, and there's plenty that are great competitors that are great commentators as well. I like hearing for the most part high level guys are pretty good commentators and are pretty engaging because they are so up with the current meta that they can sort of just talk about what they're seeing. 
and they are one or two steps ahead of your average person. And so they can be predictive. Oh, he's probably going to go here with this, or he is looking to pass his knee over, or he's really going to have to cross his hands here for that grip. And then you'll see the competitor cross their hands for the grip. And that commentary is really interesting to me. And then you need a play-by-play guy or a color guy to come in and give flavor to the broadcast and, you know, talk about the score, talk about the time, talk about, you know, maybe if the match gets a little slow, give some background on the grapplers and that sort of thing. And I think that jiu-jitsu broadcasting is really in its infancy. Um, and I th- I hope and I think it will get better as time goes on. But, yeah. you know, MMA has been around for a long time. We still hear highlights of terrible MMA commentators <laughs> that like don't understand technical striking or don't understand work on the ground or don't understand cage wrestling. So it happens in all sports, but I'm, I'm hoping that jujitsu will, will establish a more kind of bullpen of professional commentators because commentary is the only thing really you're hearing on a jujitsu broadcast. So it's very, very important. I mean, one thing that uh, when I watch competitive grappling and it happens at surprisingly high levels that that I think is a mistake is when when the two grapplers, let's just say you and me, go off out of bounds, okay? And the ref's like, okay, uh, man, you had mount. Bring it back in the middle. And, like, both guys or sometimes just one guy will literally crawl back to the middle. Like, and the ref's not making them stay in position. It's like they just drag them, them their tired bodies back to the middle to engage in, you know, me being on a bottom out again. Like, that is such a mentally bad spot to put yourself in as a competitor. I, I much prefer the guy who, you know, yeah, you have me mount. I pop up, I jump up down, roll my shoulders, and I walk right to the middle of the mat, and I lay down, I'm ready to go. Like, those are, those are two totally different things. And uh, even on a subconscious level, athletes are picking this up. Like, oh, crap, he's got a lot of energy. Like, I'm not going to be able to hold this guy in mount very long. Or if you see me crawl back to the middle of the mat, it's like, he's almost done. <laughs> it's interesting. I think... I think I'm going to kind of take a sideline here. A lot of competitors don't know the rules for what they're competing on. It's, it happens at surprisingly even at a high level. Because there's so many rules. Different, different rules. Man, you got a plane flight to wherever you're going to compete. Spend 30 <laughs> minutes and read through the email that the promoter gave you. Or, you know, at the rules meeting, ask the rules, understand. Like, you know who always understands the rules? Uh, Keenan and Gordon and Donaher. You know, those guys understand how to score. Gao Bao, another guy that always understands, like, okay, this is how we score. This is what we should do from a gamesmanship perspective. This is how we should, you know, we should deal with this situation. Um, I, I would love to see more competitors understand the rules better and more coaches understand the rules better because we hear it uh, not hugely frequently, but not infrequently. A coach will be yelling something that's maybe not the best strategy given the rule set, or they don't understand why their competitor doesn't have two points. And it's not that they're just trying to get the points called back. It's because they legitimately don't understand. And so, you know, oh, why is there two points there? It's like, well, because this promotion has an odd rule for X, Y, or Z, and this is worth two points. Yeah. Um, and we see it almost every weekend where a coach is arguing with a ref about something, and it's like, well, nope, in that rule set, that's totally what is supposed to happen there. Um, we had a rules meeting, and this is what, this is what we talked about. So, no, I think, and, and come back to the mat slowly, um, that doesn't bug me as much, but I wish that promotions would put more emphasis on action especially on a super fight that, you know, a guy lazily tying his belt or like, um, you know, lazily walking back. I want like that kind of changes the pacing of the matches of viewer and isn't great. 
But again, if a guy's been engaged for 10 minutes of a 15 minute match and he crawls back over, you know, he may be just taking a rest and that might be just gamesmanship within the match. Yeah. I don't think of it as taking a rest. I think of it like just imagine the other competitor. Like, would you rather watch your opponent crawl back to the middle of the mat or get up and, and walk like like they're getting ready to win this match? Like, I want that dude to <laughs> use as much energy as possible yeah. to get into the center of the mat so I can keep like using tons of cardio on him and make him more tired. <laughs> but if he's no, like, for- I mean, dude, I mean, you mentioned with uh, Clay Guida, like imagine like he jumps up and down and is all excited and, and then you're like, okay, he's still got plenty of energy. Like, I don't think very many of these guys are going to get themselves tired walking to the middle of the mat. It's just, it's just, to me, it's a mental lapse that, or a men- they're losing a mental game in this and they're not making the guy go, oh crap, like this guy's still got what it takes to, to be in this fight. I, I don't know. It's something yeah, that I think is, it's just interesting to watch and it's always surprising. Yeah, whenever I'm coaching, I always try to, I always really instill in the guys that I coach. Um, like you want to make whatever you're doing kind of scary to the other guy because especially at the lower levels, you can mentally kick someone off their game and release. And at the higher levels, it's significantly harder to do. Yeah. But if you, you know, put something on and you make it scary, even though it might not, not tap someone, you'll kind of slow that person down a little bit. You'll get in their head a little bit. And if you're ready to sort of engage in that kind of fight, um, it can really put you in a better spot competitively because you're ready to kind of keep pushing, keep going because you've trained like that. And I've sort of instilled in you, Hey, make this scary, make this kind of a grind be and get ready to, you know, mentally start doing these things. And in these positions that we've trained and drilled, when you're going to have the advantage, really press that into them so that you can throw them off their game. Cause especially at the lower levels, you can throw guys off games really easily and disincentivize certain reactions. And so if you training to do that, um, it, I watched the guys that I've coached win kind of just on that alone, where it's like, okay, I know the other guy he's competing against is probably technically better than him by a bit. But my guy is going in really confident in what he knows and going to be ready to be really tough in the bad spots he's going to be in. And he'll wilt the guy throughout the course of a match by just doing those things and then can beat a technically more skilled grappler kind of on those merits at the lower level. So uh, looking forward to the next year, where where do you see any uh, promotions really blossoming or any people that you, that you have an eye on to do really well that will, will be a little surprising to the rest of us? Um, maybe not. It would be surprising. Uh, kind of like we were going to say Dante Leon and then Leon went, went out and won Nogi Worlds this year. I was like, okay, well, that's not really <laughs> that's not really a dark horse anymore at that point. Uh, Mateus Lutez is probably going to get black belt here really soon. Look for him to do big things. Uh, Roberto Jimenez just got black belt this weekend at Nogi Worlds. Look for him to do big things. Pedro Mourinho, again, didn't get black belt, but has a win, has the last win over, uh, Roberto Jimenez at weight class at Nogi Worlds. He's going to do big things. Um, who else should you take a, who else should you look for? That's a really good question. Um, like offhand, I can't, like Tyra told, watch the Rotolo brothers. Yeah. Honestly, if you're going to, if you're going to follow anyone, um, watch the Rotolo brothers because those dudes have something different. Um, they always watch out for brother and sister combos in jujitsu. There's something about training with a sibling that seems to make those dudes crazy good. Um, and there's a bunch of different cases of that in jujitsu, but for some reason that the, our sport really lends itself to sibling rivalry. Um, yeah, just, yeah, watch, watch Leon, keep watching Leon, keep watching, um, Keep watching the Rotolos, and I'm looking. I'm trying to look through my athlete list here to figure out who you should just, you know, uh, watch Max Rock Shop or Rock Shop as well. 
he did really well in Shugiao, and yeah, he's a he's a dude to keep keep an eye out okay. on. Okay, just off to the side, totally. Do you think uh, Paul Harris will compete in uh, next year? Uh, he fought Gordon Ryan at World Jiu Jitsu Festival. I want to say like um, I want to say like two months ago, yeah, or something like that. I think that match was. I probably just heroes and listed by year. Never mind. Uh, a couple months ago, um, neither would surprise me. I think Polaris has had him on a couple times now. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him taking more grappling matches. It also wouldn't surprise me to not see him be active. Um, he's had a couple slower matches, and I think he garners a price tag that, given the kind of matches he's been engaged in recently, would kind of surprise me. Uh, to have promoters really chomping at the bit to grab him, especially since he's always ha- always already had some problems in MMA uh, recently with some knockouts. So his stock, I think, may or may not kind of garner the price that he has. Yeah, um, it could really go e- with him. It could really go either way. Um, he's a guy I like watching compete when he's on because he's really exciting. He's you know an outstanding grappler, but he's a he's a, been a weird one to watch recently with his performances. Yeah, I just his his. I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> like his, it's it's almost disrespectful to try to actually break somebody's body while they're tapping. Like that that is it's just oh, disrespectful yeah. to the sport. And and when when promotions hire him to to compete for them, basically, I think they're selling themselves short as far as like they're they're, they're cashing in a short term gain for eyes this time, and in the long run, giving somebody who is a negative on the sport uh, a spotlight. Like it's frustrating to me um, when every time I see him on a card, I'm like, man, <laughs> do we have to do this, guys? Like, is there no other person you could promote or or try to get behind or, or you know give a payday to than somebody who is literally trying to injure people? Like, as goal number one, like I'm gonna just do this until the ref rips me apart. Yeah, That's just frustrating. A, he's a, and she's an interesting guy to say to say the least. Um, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, we don't we don't go into a lot of that. Honestly, on our show, too much of yeah. the controversial stuff. Um, yeah, neither, but, neither do I. Like, I don't. I really <laughs> don't talk about this guy. But it is frustrating. Yeah, no, just, there's a kind. There's definitely a couple. There's a couple guys like that in jiu-jitsu that are like kind of really frustrating to watch. They're really good grapplers, but they have. Um, I think the best way to put it is issues. Yeah, and they, you know, either just have personal issues or issues on the mat or issues off the mat or they, you know, there's a lot. There's like there's probably five guys I can think of offhand that just are always guys that seem to have some sort of issue and it's frustrating to cover them because they're when they're on they're so very good and they're so top level but when they're just doing weird stuff it's really hard to root for them in their corner i'm not going to say any of the guys names but it's just you know it it happens in every sport but jujitsu because the talent pool is so much smaller we're in such a niche sport that a couple of those guys really stand out yeah so it's just like it just it just sucks because I wish I wish everyone in the sport would be as cool as ninety nine percent of the people that I run into doing the sport. I mean, I've dropped into gyms all across the country and I've interviewed a bunch of different guys for that are professionals and coaches and everyone I've pretty much everyone I've interacted with, you know, has been outstandingly friendly and a, a great part of the community. It's just a couple guys that are just that just aren't kind of wired the same way and it just kind of it just kind of sucks yeah well remember how we were talking about how most people who watch jiu-jitsu do jiu-jitsu versus yeah. mma and like in mma when the guy's laying there unconscious and the guy hits him one other time or two 
Like that's like okay, that's not cool. That's a, that's frustrating. But when when you watch this emission and the guy is tapping frantically and the guy continues to put pressure and continues to to get more rotation on whatever the shoulder lock or whatever, like it's it's so like disgusting. It's like I can imagine doing this, and then I cannot imagine like doing that at all. Like yeah, yeah I roll, I'll roll to basically anybody, but th- that person who's who's like ignoring your tap and just like going, it's like. It, it's what it is is the the promotion here's what i feel i can't read their minds but they're willing to try to get a highlight that's so interesting because of its its destruction na- destructive nature that they're they're wanting like a million hits on some little clip or whatever however many is a lot of hits i don't know <laughs> but yeah, on, on it, the other side of that i think i'm oh, sorry continue, continue no, your point they're then just I'll, I'll wanting they're just wanting something exciting like that to happen versus actually grow the sport with the people who are doing it and uh, and have something here for years. I think people who are willing to get that short term gain are really just short sighted and aren't yeah. planning on being here in ten years. And there's a lot. There's a lot of guys like that. that I mean, I've seen. I've definitely dealt with. You know, personally dealt with promoters that are just ah, man. I would much rather not not deal with this promoter in the future. And some of them we don't. Um, but there's plenty of promoters I think that are really out there to do a good job. Yeah. And there's a guy that may or may not have pro- some problems, but they're a top level guy. And including them in your event is, you know, somewhat important because that guy's not always that guy during the events. Like certain times, you know, problem guys are super respectful and winning and losing. But sometimes you get the day where they're just off and they do weird stuff. And so it's, you know, I'm, I'm all about second chances, but there's certain guys that always make me make me nervous whenever we cover them or whenever we're like leading into a preview where it's like, okay, which version of the guy are you going to get? Are you going to get the guy that's super cool and respectful, like the guys that I've talked to at events, or are you going to get that weird performance from the guy where they're going to freak out or they're going to do something weird or say something odd or, you know, crank a sub when it's an, there's an obvious tap. So it's, I don't know. It's definitely, I, I put a little bit on a little bit of it on the promoter, yeah. but it's also, what version of that guy are you getting to show up? Like it's an adult. You're dealing with an adult that has done some stuff that, you know, is pretty frowned upon in the community, but they've also competed and they've been totally fine. And so I think, you know, it's, it's, I'm not a promoter. And so I think I can't really make that justification. I'm not putting my money behind these professional events and I'm not paying these guys out. Um, but I definitely understand, I definitely understand your perspective and see it. It's just, uh, it's, it's something that because I'm not engaged in it on from the promotional side, I haven't given a ton of thought to, you know, would this guy be on my event? And there's certain guys that I'd be like, yep, definitely would not invite that guy. But there's other guys where you kind of have a question where it's like, well, would you give that guy the opportunity to go compete in your event if he was interested because he's a top level guy and maybe that, you know, he's a nice guy. You just don't know. Yeah. And, 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 you know, from their perspective, a lot of promoters are one bad show away from being done. <laughs> like, oh yeah, there's not a lot of money in jujitsu. I mean, I've I've talked to plenty of promoters that are underwater on shows, and you know, put out this and need to have this many ticket sales, and they have need you know the venue did this extra thing, and they need to have this last minute person come in for their streaming, or it, it's it's a tough business because you're you're marketing to a really small audience. You know, you're you're marketing to practitioners that are interested in the pro scene that are going to tune in for the pro scene. And like, that's a, that's a tough market to, to break into. And we're seeing a lot of the promotions that are the first over the hill there and not everyone's going to make it. So if you can put an extra, you know, 
400 eyes or a thousand eyes in your event, that may be the difference between you running another show or not running another show. And so it's, you know, when I'm not, I don't have to make that decision with our show every week. You know, I just, I just host the show and, and we run it. And next week I'm going to do another show and I'm going to follow, I'm going to do another show. I'm not having to balance the budget and balance the books. Like, okay, well, if we don't get X amount of listens or downloads this week, then we're not going to get, there's no show next week. And that, that's a tough, you know, and these, and these four guys or 10 guys are out of a job or, Oh, I can't pay my athletes now because the show didn't make enough money and I contracted. And it's just, it's a rock and a hard place. We are in a really, really tough sport to make money and to be able to put on pro events is a level of headache, which is why I don't put on pro events, which is a level of headache <laughs> that, you know, having talked to those promoters, man, those dudes, the ones that are doing it right, those dudes work so hard for because they love the sport. You wouldn't, you know, if you if you didn't love the sport, you would do something other than put on jiu-jitsu events. You would, you know, you would make your money. You'd make your money in an easier way. No one, or not that anyone that I know of, is putting on jiu-jitsu events that's not super into jiu-jitsu, or because there's not enough money in it unless you love it. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's again, like we do, we both do, you know, jiu-jitsu podcasts. You know, we're in a really niche market and there's, there's a lot of practitioners that tune in and really love what we do. But if I wanted to make, you know, a giant podcast, you know, I would, I would most likely focus on a topic that was a little more broad, a little more general than the niche that I love. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so if, if somebody wants to, to keep up with you or what's the best place to go to find the podcast? So the best place to go to find the podcast is any sort of any podcast service you have. We are pretty much listed uh, on every sort of podcast platform. We are on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on TuneIn, we're on Stitcher, we're on Podbean. Uh, we are pretty much everywhere. If there's a podcast app that you have, uh, you can find us at Grappling Rewind. We also have a website, grapplingrewind.com. Uh, there you can actually find our events list. So the actual list of all the pro events that are coming up and some of the ones that have passed, we're actually in the process of redoing our website to make that a lot more user-friendly and easy, more easily accessible. Um, you can email us. You, you can find us on Instagram, at Grappling Rewind, on Twitter, at Grappling Rewind. We are on Facebook, at Grappling Rewind. Um, and if you ever want to talk to us on stuff like Reddit, we're, we're there as well. So really we try to kind of blanket the social media. We try to be everywhere. I really want to be engaged in the community as part of the show that we do because, um, a lot of great feedback we get is from various platforms and guys, Hey, you know, are you, are you aware of this event coming up or do you see this finish or do you see this highlight? And so the community has just been absolutely great. So you can find us pretty much anywhere on those platforms. Our video show also comes out on YouTube uh, every Wednesday, and we're kind of in the process of trying to grow that side of our platform. So subscriptions on there really help. And then as always, just telling your friends about our show, if you like our show, uh, is the, really the biggest way that we grow our show. Cool. And uh, yeah, YouTube, That's you guys do a, basically the, a video podcast. YouTube keeps telling me I'm not good looking enough to be a, a video show, so audio only for this guy. <laughs> I, I, got a, I got a face for radio. It's great. <laughs> we're jujitsu guys man (laughs) yeah man but uh yeah it's been it's been a blast having you on here urge everybody to go check out uh grappling rewind and uh find it you know whatever app you're listening to this on hit that little magnifying glass button and and type it in and and you'll be able to find him weekly show covering all the the latest things that's happening in the sport so uh, thank you so much man for hopping on here with me yeah it was outstanding i really appreciate uh, having the conversation and uh look forward to talking in the future Man, it was great to have Maine on the show this week, and uh, it, it, I met him at ADCC, 
and we really struck it off and, and started talking and having a good time as far as uh, kind of making a little bit of a connection there and as, as two fellow podcasters <laughs> in the jiu-jitsu community. And, and uh, it, w- it was fun to get to meet him in such an interesting place. And uh, we were both kind of doing our thing uh, behind the scenes if we, you know, the best we could and, and, uh, and, and watching and trying to enjoy the event at the same time. Wow, it, it, that's just one of the many things that I really got from going to ADCC was, uh, you know, meeting Maine and, and a few other people as well. But, uh, yeah, it, it's tremendous. And now it finally, you know, brought this to the point where he's uh, he's on the show as a guest. So that's kind of fun. And, and you know, Maine, anytime you want you know something from us, let us know. And we'll absolutely be happy to, uh, to help you guys out with anything you have going on. So uh, thank you for the recap of the year. It's something that uh, I think is has a lot of value and, and a lot of replay ability. You know, go back and either look on YouTube for the people he's talking about, or if you're a member of Flow Grappling, you can go there and and watch some of these videos he's he's talking about and and uh, and kind of get that uh, visual aspect of what he's uh, discussing in the podcast this week. So thank you so much, Maine. If if this episode is something that you think a friend would like. Please share that with them. It's really helped us out in in our growth. We don't do a big uh, marketing campaign. We we're not doing um, anything crazy as far as that goes. We're word of mouth largely, and uh, some people find this kind of randomly. But if your friends would enjoy the show, please share that and uh, and help us out. And and hopefully, if all goes well, it also helps your friend out. Like they'll they'll either enjoy it or maybe get something from this. So uh, yep, that's always helpful and we're always honored when somebody tells us they were just recommended by a friend like man that friend is all right guys we have an article this week and you know what why not keep this uh, artistic thing rolling here and how about 13 acrylic painting techniques all beginners should try now let's not run down the entire list of 13 because <laughs> uh, i don't think any of us are, are really much for being a painter but it's fun We've done this lately. We used to always have jujitsu articles, and then we would occasionally have just a general sports article, you know, about weightlifting or stretching or something like that. But here, um, if anything, any skill that you're wanting to develop, whether it be painting or, um, you know, Gary's ballet class or, you know, uh, jujitsu, we all have similar methods of learning, and we can learn things from other areas. So that's kind of the, the goal here. Guys, what, what do you think here about this uh, this painting article? And it can be found on myblueprint.com. And I'll put a link in the show notes if you are that artist. But before we get to the article, you know, I want to talk about Bob Ross again. You know? <laughs> I know you do, Gary. <laughs> he was a longtime animal lover. And, you know, there's a story that said as a boy, he grew up in Florida. He was such an animal lover that he once nursed an alligator back to health in his family's tub. What an incredible person. The Bob Ross Fan Club. Gary's not only a member, he's also the president. That's his goal anyway. <laughs> no, I, I like the article. Um, I know, I guess, just enough about painting to, to recognize that a lot of these um, a lot of these painting techniques that are suggested are sort of niche painting techniques. They're not going to be for everybody. They're not going to fit in everybody's... Um, Tool bag. Yeah, they're not going to be in everybody's tool bags. It's not going to fit everybody's painting style. And so uh, to relate it to jiu-jitsu, I think this is sort of like, um, I don't think you have to get really good at um, 
wrist locks to say you know that you're good at jiu-jitsu. You certainly don't have to get really good at like the worm guard or baron bolo. You know, there's a lot of these techniques that I think are sort of optional, but everybody should try them because you never know what you'll learn in the process of trying them. And you never know when you'll stumble across something that actually does fit into your game. So I like this idea of, of looking at all of the possibilities out there. And even though some of them might not work for you in the end, try them all. Yeah, I like that. You can look at all those different techniques as, or all those different styles as a different technique. You know, try them all. See what works for you. You know, and uh, there's different ways to learn from them, too. You know, we can go back to, you know, these techniques. And, uh, you know, I like I've been talking about Bob Ross, but one of his favorite techniques was the wet on wet technique. And, you know, basically he perfected a way to paint over the top of wet oil paint instead of waiting for it to dry. And, um, you know, what this allowed beginners to do was learn quickly, you know, as a method where you could learn quickly with a minimum of tools. You don't have to go out and buy 15 geese and stuff like that. And you could complete the pictures quickly, um, which you don't have to have a six or seven hour class. So, um, you know, you can use the wet on wet technique, uh, you know, and, and bring it back on the mat there also. Man, Gary's going deep into the Bob Ross painting world. Uh, one of the techniques I was reading about here, and I and I think I understand the idea of it, is layering. And so you start, if you can think of Bob Ross, man, I don't know where else to go. He start with like the background, like a sky, and then he would layer on some clouds, and then he would alter those clouds a little bit, and he, and like he's building up on this thing. And a lot of times, what's painted in the very background, the the blue sky is just a small portion of what's left. But he painted the entire sky blue, and then he's added clouds, and then he's covered some of the clouds with mountains, and then he's you know like it just the layers of it. And I don't know how right on this is with jujitsu, but I often think this is very um, similar. When sometimes I'll I'll teach somebody uh, like a standing pass, and they literally stand up. And then they get swept. <laughs> it's like, okay, like you're not ready to, to to do the standing pass yet. We need to work on how to not get swept immediately once you stand up. Because they're used to passing maybe on their knees or they just have a hard time keeping their balance or their base. And so that layer hasn't been put down yet as far as what they should be doing. If you can't if you can't stand up in the guard without getting swept pretty quickly, by somebody of similar skill, you're not ready to learn a standing pass. You, you're ready to learn maybe just how to control somebody a little bit better while you're standing. Uh, maybe you need to learn the principles of what they're trying to do as they do, set up their sweeps. You need to build those layers first. You can't just jump right in. Not that standing passes are some crazy hard thing, but if you don't have that base layer, that, that uh, blue sky up there, you shouldn't be painting the mountain already because by the time you try to put that blue in there and the mountain's already up there, it's going to mess up the whole thing. So kind of some things are better learned in order. Good point. Yeah, that, that's a great uh, reinforcement of the idea that you got to get the basics down first. Uh, submissions from side control. If you can't hold side control, yeah, if you can't transition between you know, the basic types of side control, uh, you're putting the cart before the horse if you're trying to learn all the submissions first. That's great, Byron. You know, I like it. They, they talk about glazing uh, you know, as a technique. And you know, we all want our paintings to shine. Um, just like we want our jujitsu to shine. And, you know, when I see glazing, the first thing I think if is, man, we're going to patch our gi up. 
We're going to make our geese shine. Uh, we're going to put a nice BJJ brick patch on that. You know, if you are a Patreon supporter, you get that. Um, maybe even get the old throwback patch. But, um, you know, when we go out there on the mat, we're going to be glazed. Uh, we're going to have our, our geese shining and make us look uh, special. Just like Bob Ross. Definitely just like Bob Ross. Guys, I want to to mention the the color mixing techniques. And uh, it talks about there's, there's separate uh, ways to mix the color. But in reality, in jujitsu, we're eventually going to be blending our techniques together. So you're going to uh, combine your triangle and your arm bar, arm bar together and, and kind of blend them. And, and that really is where uh, jujitsu becomes more of an art form, where everybody in time, everybody has certain techniques that they're good at. And then you'll get other techniques that you're also good at. And you'll find ways to blend these together that, that really are like like a, like colors on a on a palette, the amount of colors you can make are you know limitless. It's just add a little bit more blue to this, or add a little bit more yellow, um, and and the colors change. And there's so many different things. You know the, the way you're you're holding someone's uh, elbow, or you know the way you, the reason why you hold it that way is because during your kimura you set it up doing this, but now you can hold it the same way, and it's really a good way to to set up that umaplata or whatever. I'm just making stuff up here, but. As as you develop your your favorite techniques, those will eventually combine with each other to make that really nice mauve color that you really like. <laughs> so, what color is mauve? I have no idea. I'm not a. I'm colorblind, Joe? Gary. Well, you know? I, well, I'm not sure, but uh, for some people, it would be a part of their family of colors, which I think is this guy's last Ooh. point. Create create point. create a family of colors. Um, I guess if you're an artist, you know, and, and you pick two or three shades, two or three colors that work well with you, you like working with. Maybe that just makes it easier from painting to painting. I'm always a big proponent um, of grouping your techniques together in a a smart way. I've got a a friend that's just kind of getting good at the hip hip bump sweep. And I asked him, you know, if he's playing with the Kimura or the guillotine, he's like, no, I haven't really thought about it. And I'm like, man, once you get that arm isolated, if they defend the sweep, then you've got other options there. And, and I'm a big fan of that. So, uh, yeah, create a family of colors, uh, create a, a family of techniques. I like it, Joe. Uh, um, I, I like the one, uh, get creative. And I know, Joe and Byron, a minute ago, you guys were talking about the basics are so important. But, you know, when you're painting and, and when you're you do doing jujitsu, get creative. Sometimes just have some fun. Get away from the basics. Try a flying triangle. Try a, you know, flying armbar. Have some fun. Get creative. Uh, do some crazy stuff. Um, I find myself sometimes getting in a rut. And you guys know I'm a, just a really big proponent on basics. And, you know, Byron and I, we, we laugh that we don't even do De La Hiva. Um, um, we're more <laughs> just total basic guys. But, man, sometimes it's just fun just to uh, – try something that I normally wouldn't do a scissor takedown, um, you know, an Inamari roll, which, you know, I really like trying to do, um, you know, just something fun and, and get creative. It's going to teach your body how to move. You're going to learn some new techniques. You're going to have fun doing it. And who knows, it may become, uh, one of your main things in your tool bag. Yeah. If any of my training partners are listening, I want you to, you know, try a flying arm bar now and then too, but <laughs> yeah, not when you're rolling with me. <laughs> I like the, the examples Gary gives. Just just try something. Uh, flight arm bar. Like, that never ends <laughs> yeah. in a bad way. That never has you land on your head and neck. <laughs> <laughs> try it with extra mat. 
But um, okay, so let's get rid of that. And let's talk about the Inamari role. You know, let's talk <laughs> something that way. Yeah. There so there go. we go. No, it's all it's all valid, Gary. Yeah. Try something different. Yeah, I mean, just do stuff you don't normally do. If you don't do uh, umaplatas, try some umaplatas. If you don't do uh, de la Hivagar, try that. If you don't do Baron Bolas, try that. Uh, you know, just add a little bit of a uh, change to your game and uh, have fun. Yeah, just set some small goals. Like every class, I'm going to invert at least one time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the good thing, though, make sure you have a good chiropractor. Yeah, if you're playing that inverted game, for sure. Yeah, so that wraps up our painting article <laughs> with the chiropractor. Um, I'll put a link in the you know, show notes to the article. Yeah, you know, I, I want to go back real, real quick. You know, we're talking about painting, but, you know, one another thing I think we could take from Bob Ross uh, that we could put in jiu-jitsu, like his biggest catchphrase. You know, I know we just used a quote by him, but his biggest catchphrase was, we don't make mistakes, just happy accidents. And, you know, I think that's great for the mat. Um, you know, I, I go to pass, but I let you get the underhook and you take my back and choke me out. You know, let's learn from it. It's, you know, let's, let's just call it a happy accident. Yeah, I happy accidented myself right into a triangle the other day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the other day. You know, Actually, I do that pretty much every class. So Yeah, you know those happy accidents. Like I know uh, Byron and I the other day, we went out to lunch and uh, we went to a great Mexican restaurant. And uh, he had a happy accident before he could get to the bathroom. <laughs> Definition of happy is a bit strange, but. Uh, yeah. I, guess, and, I happily got to get know, new pants, right, Carrie? <laughs> yeah. Well, the great thing was, like, you know, Byron said it was a happy accident. And he just, he actually was so happy about it. You know, he used the wet on wet <laughs> methods. <laughs> and he uh, wanted me to, he wanted to show me his uh, glazed art. Wow. That's a bit graphic. Wow. There was I'm, some, just, I'm there just glad was you, you drove, Carrie. There was a little bit of shine to it. You, you drove us to that uh, place and had to drive him back. I made you walk back. <laughs> oh, man. Some people that wouldn't leave us hanging or, or make us walk back would be our Patreon supporters. Ooh. Ooh. Gary, tell us a little bit about Patreon and how it works. You know, Patreon, uh, first of all, we do have a link to it in the show notes, but uh, this show would be hard to run each and every week without our Patreon supporters. Um, basically, it's a, a website for content producers like ourselves uh, where you can go on and uh, pledge, uh, you know, a dollar per show or, or whatever you'd like to uh, pledge. And, um, you know, it comes out every week there. But, uh, uh you know, you guys have really helped us out a lot. Um, you know, this is a free show, and we don't make a Well, Byron makes a lot of money. Uh, Joe and I don't. Um, so uh, it just helps us uh, keep the show going. And you get some special privileges for being a Patreon supporter. Um, we do have our – is it 5-inch, Byron? Yes. Measure it uh, and brag about yeah. it, Gary. Yeah, our 5-inch <laughs> BJJ brick Gee patch. Uh, we kind of talked about uh, adding some glitter uh, already. Uh, you can put that on your gi. We do have a uh, special um, uh, private Facebook group. And, you know, the cool thing about the Facebook group is sometimes uh, Byron may have an interview lined up and, you know, with so-and-so, and he'll ask, hey, does anybody have any questions uh, that we could ask him? And, you know, once a month we do a, uh, a content episode, and uh, a lot of times, too, Byron will ask our listeners, uh, hey, uh, 
you know, what's a good uh, content episode, or he may have a vote uh, if we have a couple different ones out there. So it's a, it's a way for you to get involved in the show, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, we really, really are appreciative of our uh, Patreon supporters. Hey, real quick, too, we talked about uh, how our listeners could add to the show. Um, you know, last week, uh, uh, Joe Marquez uh, sent us a uh, uh, article. So if you have an article or a blog or anything jujitsu related, you know, send us an email, bjjbrick at gmail.com. If, and if you would like to get your article on the show, um, we'd rather use an article from one of our listeners um, than trying to find one. We're actually a little bit lazy, uh, especially myself. And so I'd rather uh, have somebody uh, have somebody who listens to our show. And uh, maybe we could help uh, you out there too. Uh, have people come to your website or your blog. Yeah. And we do have two new members of Patreon, Gary. Yes. And that's Vincent and Keeley. And uh, you guys uh, do join our private Facebook group. They, um, and maybe they've joined it already since we've recorded this. But uh, send me a message at bjjbrick at gmail.com with a link to your Facebook page. Or just send me a Facebook uh, friend request. Um, Byron Jabara, J-A-B-A-R-A. I'll pop right up. B-Y-R-O-N is my first name, and you could, you could add me. There's only one on Facebook that I know of, and uh, we'll get you added to the private group if you are a Patreon supporter. So we have our regular page. We're all there, and that's that's fun, and, and, and we, we post a lot there. But to join the private group, we, we want you to uh, – that's for the – I want to give a little something extra to the Patreon supporters. So that's where you'll find extra trash talking. <laughs> you know, Byron – my mind doesn't always work right. And, you know, I'm always trying to play jokes on you, and you're always trying to play jokes on me. And the first thing I thought of just now when you said, uh, I'm the only Byron Jabbar that pops up, there's not any others. And the first thing I was thinking of, I'm going to make a fake Byron Jabbar oh, Facebook that, profile. That's actually, too much, Gary. I almost messaged you that idea. <laughs> oh, seriously? Seriously. No, I, was, I was just thinking, I'm going to message Gary, and he yeah. should do that. <laughs> Joe and I, man, we think alike. That's why I like Joe so much. Oh, man. But, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, then I could make Byron really weird and uh, really even uglier than he is. And uh, yeah. I was going to say, make make Byron look really weird. That wouldn't take much work. No, yeah, but you I could just make grab one of the pictures I have in my original profile, Gary. We could <laughs> just put a little bit of glitter on it. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to this, Gary. I know you work hard on on some odd projects like that. And, uh, man, it's going to be happening. It'll be nice. Byron, I can't get him to write an article for uh, the website, but I can get him to make fake profiles. <laughs> 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 what martial arts should I do? Maybe I'm a painter. Not a chance. Oh, bro. yeah. I mean, you can't, you've got all your fingers and you don't have any hair. Maybe the, maybe the other, the, uh, alter ego does not. Yeah. We'll see where Gary goes with this. The one thing about this article I can really tell you, though, or this episode, is I've learned a lot about Bob Ross. And I really didn't know a lot about him before, but I I, I really like Bob Ross now. <laughs> you get There's a lot of his painting episodes on YouTube. Like, I don't you know, know if they're, they're all on there or not, but... Crazy. But by estimates, they say he's done over 30,000 oil paintings over the course of his life. And, you know, that equals 576 portraits of happy trees each year. And remember, I told you trees were 91%. Uh, so kind of crazy. 
Wow, that is that is a little on the crazy side. But yeah. that, you know, he works so fast. The guy actually published twenty books and over a hundred videos. He's got us beat, guys. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. man, Gary, he's just one to read out bar. facts. <laughs> But uh, you know, but yeah, scary. we all wonderful. have mentors. You know, one of my mentors is Byron, and you know, Bob Ross was always quick to praise his mentor, Bill Alexander. Um, you know, I don't really <laughs> praise you as much, Byron, but maybe I'll start doing it. Yeah, maybe, or maybe yeah. on me with a fake page. Maybe I'll praise the fake Byron Jabbar. This is gonna be good. Maybe I'll. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, if anybody uh, here within the next couple of weeks gets a. Uh, uh, request from Byron Jabara, please accept it. <laughs> and the reason I say that, I mean, I've created many fake profiles before. I need as many friends as possible off the bat to get more people to accept it. The more friends I have, you know, the better chance I get people to accept it. And that's the one thing you run into uh, when you do make fake profiles is to get people to accept you so then you can get more people to accept you so you get a little bit of legitimacy to it. Yeah. So let me get this straight. We're pulling a pra- practical joke on Byron and we're telling him about it. Yeah, his technique you know, is a little bit Joe, lacking. <laughs> we say this all- no, 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 it's not at all. Yo, we talk about this all the time. Byron is not very intelligent. So um, he, he still won't figure it out. <laughs> I'm going to, okay. Gary, I'm going to get a hold of my face I mean, and tell them to shut this thing water. down. Yeah, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't lead Byron anywhere. That should be our quote for next week. <laughs> we'll just have this, this episode trail <laughs> off into the abyss. <laughs> the abyss. Uh, well, uh, don't forget, you know, uh, they led me to water. I'm quite thirsty. But I'm also quite sweaty. And don't forget to shout. Yeah, uh, go train, guys. Do it smart, and uh, you'll get better. We'll see you on the mats. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>